believe the principles in it can apply to people in every station of life. And so while we're not going to back away from talking about marriages for the next three weeks, we want everyone here to know there's somebody in your life that you've got a relationship with, whether it's a a child or grandchild, uh, a future, potential future spouse, a coworker or a friend, that the principles that we talk about in these messages still apply to relationships in all kinds of settings. I wanted to open up with something that would touch on the theme of rekindled. Rekindled, pretty clearly, based on this image, is all about a fire. And so we probably have all seen a fire that started to go out, or uh, guys, maybe you've been building a fire, and a little bit of your you know, man card was invested in this fire turning out the right way, and you had the wood stacked and you lit the thing, and then one of several kind of disasters uh, can happen. The, some of the wood begins to become unstable and fall off to the sides, showering your guests or you know, your potential uh, uh, spouse or whoever is there that you're warming up next to the fire with, with you know, ash and sparks and smoke. Or maybe the, the problem is the fire shoots up real fast, it gets hot and it blazes bright. And then it begins to burn down and you're all out of kindling and all out of uh, paper and you need to get that thing roaring again. Well, here's a little bit of the way that one ancient Jewish man relit the fire, if you will, in his personal relationship. Okay, pick up lines from Scripture. Never thought I'd get to read the Song of Solomon in church, but here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Famous king. This This is the line he used to rekindle things with his girl. Behold... You are beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. He's doing well so far, isn't he? Say that over and over again. Your eyes are like doves. Okay. Behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Can you feel the fire going down, ladies? Like goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. That's a sheep. I can't read that one in church. (laughs) Here we go. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Again, he's warming up. He's getting better. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate. Yeah. This is often the way it feels when we try to rekindle things our own way, isn't it? We simply don't always have the tools to stir up the coals in the fire and get some flames burning bright again. Maybe this image will work for some of you. Uh, In fact, for all the kids that are here in the audience, let's do this together for a minute. And those of you adults who are still children at heart, you can do it too. You got to imagine that you're sitting by that campfire outside, but it's getting a little cold. So the first thing you need to do is you got to shiver a little, okay? We're cold. Everybody, cold, shiver. All right, now you look at the fire and you know it needs stirred. You know that it needs to get uh, you know, some more flames and logs, but it's hot. You don't want to touch that and move those logs around with your hands, so you've got to put on your big, thick leather gloves. So everybody pull on those gloves. You ready? All right, got those on. Okay, now we're almost ready. Now here's the fire, and I don't want to stick my hands even with the gloves right in the fire, so what kind of tool do we use when we want to stir up the coals? Yeah, we get some kind of a long stick 
or my personal favorite, the claw, that's a big piece of iron with two handles like this and can pick up logs. So let's pick up a log. You ready? Pick that guy up. Let's set him on the fire. Right there. And now you just stir that thing a little. Everybody stir it. Everybody stir it. Stir those coals. Yeah, you're right. See? We all know how to start a fire. We all know how to rekindle a fire. We can even imagine how to do it. The problem with our imagination is that when it comes to our relationships that have begun to grow cold, sometimes we don't have the imagination to know what are the things in the relationship that's like putting on the heavy gloves, grabbing the stick or the claw, and stirring that thing up back into action to get the coals that have all that banked heat underneath to release that heat and start to burn the wood again. See, the goal by the end of all of this if it was a real fire, is we want to be able to warm our hands by it again and sit down and enjoy it. And in a relationship, we want to be able to bask in the warmth of a good relationship. And we need tools to do it. And we don't always know what to expect. In fact, expectations are a big part of why relationships go cold in the first place. Let me read you a quote from another church that has taught on a similar theme for one of their home point messages from Lake Point in Texas. They had done a survey of their congregation and they found two things that seemed to conflict whenever they surveyed their own church. Most members of the church said, I have a high confidence that my marriage will last. So I want you to think about that. High to low, you know, one being low and ten high, how do you feel in your confidence that your marriage will make it until death do us part? What they found at Lake Point was that most people felt, I think my marriage will last. But here was the second question. Will your marriage be God-honoring and happy? And they found that many people, even though they marked a high mark for my marriage will last, marked a low mark for that I have confidence my marriage will be happy and God-honoring. This seems like a problem. Let me read a quote from Kurt Bruner, who founded the Home Point Ministries at Lake Point. We are not simply trying to create a culture of grin and bear it marriages because we don't believe in divorce, but rather we want to create a culture of God-honoring marriages that are happy and thriving and that actually picture an embodiment of the gospel. Bruner in the Lake Point Church saw the problem as this. The church had done too much preaching and teaching about what we're against and not enough preaching and teaching and equipping about what we are for. And it's not just that the church believes that divorce can be devastating. We all know that. We already feel that in our families. The churches need equipment and a new expectation that helps them imagine what it could look like if we stirred that fire at home and got those marriages back to the roaring blaze that we hoped they could be. In the book of Proverbs, we read uh, this from chapter 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What is the author of Proverbs saying? When we expect something, we have a vision for marriage. It's going to make me happy. I'll be fulfilled. I'm going to love this person forever. This is my best friend. We were soulmates. We're companions. And then the hope is deferred. It doesn't become completely fulfilled. We're surprised because we don't get what we expected. It makes us feel sick inside. 
What we long for is to see those desires fulfilled and to be like this tree of life, which is a picture or a symbol of Eden, isn't it? Where Adam and Eve lived together in harmony. And before the fall, we would guess, without sin in the world, had a pretty good relationship. So good, they didn't even feel the need to dress. Adam and Eve could be completely comfortable with each other, literally in their bare skin, because... Their expectations were being met between each other and with God. Isn't this what we want? But it's not the reality we face. The truth is, is that so many of our relationships grow cold and need maintenance. Consider a few examples, and maybe you felt one of these personally in your heart, in your life. One of them is ready to marry, but the other isn't. There's a difference in expectations, He waits too long. He doesn't give the ring in time. Hope begins to be deferred for her. She starts to feel sour inside. One of them is ready to have children and the other one isn't. One's ready to take the job and move and plant roots in the new community, but the other one isn't sure that it's the right calling. One's ready to buy the house. The other one isn't ready to commit to spending that much money. One is ready to retire and the other one is not. I saw my grandparents go through this last one. Some years ago when my grandfather, my uh, grandpa Bundy, was still alive, he retired for the first time from being a trucker for the pen traffic uh, company in Pennsylvania. And I'm telling you, I think he about drove my grandma nuts. He moved home. He had nothing to do. And she had a plan every day. She had things she did in order. He messed up her whole schedule, hanging around, following her around like a little lonely, lost, broken heart puppy. This is my big, strapping grandfather of a man who worked in a coal mine, who was a deer hunter, who raised cattle, you know, birthed them by hand. And he didn't know what to do with his day. So my grandma was getting sick of him being lovesick. What did he have to do? Went back to work for a while. To reset things. They realized their expectations were way off. And then after he worked a few more years and they made a plan, he retired for the second time. And this time, every morning, he got up, shaved, got dressed, just like he was going to work, went around town, got a paper and a coffee, talked politics with the old men, checked the cattle lines, and then finally came home when my grandma was ready to receive him with open arms. And you see, this is exactly what we all need. We must stir and provoke what we want to rekindle. We can't simply stare at it. We've got to pull on the gloves. We've got to grab the little tools or whatever we have and work that fire and expose the underlying expectations that we both have. What does he want and what does she want? And they get more serious than the ones I mentioned. Church, listen, it's not all about preferences. There's infertility in marriage There's loss of children sometimes. There's caring for aging parents. There's a child who walks away from God. There's the times we lose the job, and you may think you've uncovered all the expectations that your spouse has and not realize for months or years that there was more buried under the surface. And so these things go incredibly deep, just like the coals that have burned down low, and even though you can't see it on top, they're still hot under the surface. Uh, I think this isn't working, guys, so I'm up to you. Go ahead to Ephesians 5. What does God say that we need to build these expectations? Two quick points, and then we'll turn this over to one of our shepherds this morning. In Ephesians 5, verse 33, 
The Lord wrote this through Paul, through inspiring Paul. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5 is a chapter that is all about how to love properly. And by properly, Paul would have meant or intended the way that Jesus chose to love you. How can you learn to build a fire at home the way that Christ loved you with this fire that burns, that he burns for your salvation and to know you personally? And through the inspiration of Scripture, God points out two things, two tools that all of us need, love and respect. Both people in the relationship need both love and respect. The difference is that to one of us, Love may seem more like water than food, and to the other, it's in reverse. Imagine being out in the backcountry and getting lost while you were hiking or exploring. Everybody knows that you can go for a number of days without food, but only hours without water. Well, to a woman, according to what God says in Scripture, love is like water. And to a man, respect is like water. Things start to break down if they don't get to take this in, if they don't get nourished in this way within a period of time. I don't think God is trying to say anything about how husbands don't need love or women don't need respect at all, except for that there seems to be a primacy in which one we offer to which to stoke the fire. It means this, if you go to the next slide, Ephesians 5.33 with the bullet point. God is talking about unmerited love and unmerited respect because this is love and respect that comes in the kind that God gives. It's in the same mode that Christ gave to us. This isn't the same thing as falling in love. Although we love to watch romantic movies and talk about how we fell in love with our spouses, the language itself betrays us at our time of greatest need. Because if we fall into love, what we are doing is saying that my emotions in the moment define my purpose for life. We deify emotions. And when we fall out of love, when the fire gets cold, we deify that as well and say, ah. My God is my emotion. That's why I loved you, and that's why I can't love you now. Rather, husbands should love in this manner. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, 3, verse 7 says this. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. The question is, how does a husband love properly? You must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding. Let me read the rest of the verse. As you live together, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Paul recognizes that bodies have different amounts of strength, and that generally men are larger and can enforce their will in the home through brute strength. But that is not God's way. God doesn't intend for a man to use his power or by withdrawing in coldness to force his wife to live in the way that he wants. Rather, he wants husbands to be a student of their wives, to live with understanding. Husbands are supposed to learn and study who their wives are in the unique makeup that God made them. And what's hard for us, husbands? We study things for one purpose, don't we? We study things to improve upon them. 
We study things to fix them. How many times have you stood around with a group of guys and you looked at anything, a a fire that one of the other guys built, and the guy over here goes, I know how to build a better one. (laughs) That's just how we are. But that doesn't mean that's how we ought to behave with our wives. No, we don't look at them and say, I know how to make her better. We look at her and we ask, how did God intend me to treat her better? Second point, husbands, we need to create catalytic, reoccurring opportunities for discovery. This discovery doesn't happen by accident. And when we say catalytic, we mean something that'll make the fire burn bright. Regular date nights are a great idea. But what if, week to week, on a regular, habitual basis, you invited your wife into prayer together, and you even were bold enough to ask her, how can I pray for you this week? If you listen closely to that answer, if we could listen closely to the answers that our wives give when we ask, how can I pray for you this week, and learn from it, they're going to start receiving love. They're going to start feeling the attention that we give. Wives, what does respect look like? 1 Corinthians 13.7 says this in the NLT. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Let's sum that up with one point. Love assumes the best. When we respect somebody, when we honor and esteem somebody, we usually pay attention to what they're doing. We may follow them around. Have you ever seen a celebrity that came to Bentonville for the film festival? The way people honor and esteem the celebrity, and they just follow them around, and they're taking pictures, and they want to honor this person. Imagine what would happen if a famous actor or actress that was one of your favorites came to town and said, I want to have lunch with you Monday, but I have to leave town on Tuesday. Would you not clear the schedule, tell all your friends, guess what? He wants to have lunch with me and make the meeting. This is what it means to honor and to respect. And so when you have the opportunity, wives, with your husbands to show them that you care about making time for them, paying attention to who God made them to be, here's two points that wives might consider. I know that you didn't mean this, but this is how I felt. You see, so often men go into the shell when they hear, this is what you did to me. This is what you did. It doesn't feel respectful. And men hide from that kind of thing. They cringe from that kind of thing. They go running. I don't know why. It's something about the weakness of the fall. But until God makes us strong enough to stand up to it, simply the way that we phrase things might create opportunities for our spouses to hear us and to respond in love. The second idea is this. Catch what he gets right in spite of what he gets wrong. Wives, we know that we aren't as good as what you expected us to be. We know that we mess up all the time. But one preacher has told a great story about his own wife, who was a teacher in a very difficult school district for a number of years. Worked with a bunch of different races and many different expectations from the students. Many students who were never praised at home for anything that they did. And this teacher made a concerted effort every day to catch the students doing something right. Every student, every day. And this one simple strategy 
burying down in your heart something that he has gotten right and then letting him know about it might be all it takes to fuel his feelings of respect. A book that we would like to make available to you that's promoted through our Home Point Center is called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrix. In this book, he talks about this cycle of love and respect and how it works when it's broken and how, with God's help, we can begin to fix it. The basic premise is this. If you start at any point on the circle, it is a guaranteed, based on the world's way of how relationships work, based on our fallen nature, that the circle will continue clockwise. Let's assume that we start where he withholds his love. If he doesn't give his love, she begins to react. And what is the tool that she has to her advantage? How does she protect herself? By withholding respect. And then he reacts further, withholding love, and the fire gets colder as they withdraw. But imagine if we took out the out, because when he shows his love, she also reacts. She begins to show the respect. And then when she shows the respect that he so desperately needs, he starts to show her love even more, and the cycle goes upward instead of down. The question here is how do we break the downward cycle and start to send the cycle in an upward direction? And the answer is that it doesn't matter who started it. What matters is who will end it and send the cycle in the other direction. Go forward two slides. Who will be the one in your marriage to make the choice to reverse the cycle and start showing unmerited love or unmerited respect and not waiting for it to be earned? Because the world's way is to say, I'll love them when they're lovable and respect them when they're respectable, and that is not God's calling. The answer that God provides is that the one who is most mature in the relationship will break the cycle. The one who is most mature will be the one to send it on the upward uh, cycle. So who is the one who's most mature in the relationship? Well, you, obviously. That's what you've been arguing, right? So be the one to show unmerited favor to your spouse. Finally, this point. We're going to turn things over to our shepherds this morning after a brief invitation. Who will give you the resource when your expectations are not being met at home to begin changing the cycle and let you know you're understood and loved? According to Paul, it is our God who will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Jesus Christ. According to Paul, it is not your spouse who will meet your needs. The expectations that you have, the things you've imagined, will never fall perfectly into place because of your spouse's effort. But God can supply your needs. And think about it, church. When we expect the other human being in the relationship to meet all of our needs, we're expecting them to be God. They can make a wonderful spouse, but they'll make a terrible God. Only the one who showed us love before we ever deserved it who loved the world so much that he sent his son into it, who loved you so much that he sought you out while you were still a sinner, knows how to show unmerited love and respect in a way that will change your heart and the heart of your spouse. We have resources to offer you, and over the next three weeks, we'll be talking about them some more. Our Home Point Center has a lot of books and documents that you can borrow. They're also available on our website. And if you would like, our shepherds are available to pray with you today or at any time 
and so is the ministry staff to talk with you, support you in your journey as you and we together begin rekindling these fires at home. Let's stand together and sing this song of invitation.